Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys going? Seriously, Cav is so cool. And um, it's partly one of those things for me. It's like I'm too old to do youth camps, and so we run church camps, and we keep going as long as we can. But, uh, you know, camp is just that time where I believe when you put that time aside and you sacrifice um, your money, your, uh, you know, just getting through all that stuff, I think that God can really do something with that. And uh, we've got an amazing camp speaker, Pastor Ken Fletcher. I think Beck and I have mentioned before that Pastor Ken was one of the first, um, I guess he's a bit of a father figure to pastors in, in WA, in, in um, the ACC movement. And he was really one of the first pastors that really just took us under his wing and just love on us. And, and he, he's amazing. When we caught up to do Cam, uh, talk about Cam, he was like, you know what, guys, anytime you need anything, you just want someone to talk to. You just want someone to cry with. Just call me. I mean, and, and that's the kind of guy that he is, but, but not just, you know, being so pastoral and nice, but he's also done some amazing stuff. I love hearing his stories about how he used to go into, like, the Soviet bloc when it was still illegal to... Um, I guess, openly preach about Jesus, and he was uh, preaching in some Orthodox churches, and he said they were all quiet throughout the whole message, and please don't do that to me. I've done it once before in a kind of like traditional church, and I was preaching, and there was no, they weren't even allowed to smile, I don't think, and so it was the weirdest thing in the world, but he preached this message, and he thought that he just completely bombed it, but then um, uh, as he walks off, um, just suddenly someone was like, hey, 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 we want you to start praying for people, which has never happened before in that church. And, and you know, miracles and healings just break out. They, they, yeah, it was just God just rocked up. And, and so we told Pastor Ken, we want, we want that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to see God do something really crazy, spectacular in our midst. And so that's camp that's coming up. Um, you can see I'm also really excited because the Eagles, and I, I'll be honest, I lost faith in them. I did. I was like, no, nah, this is, they, they, they're cooked. They're not going to make it. And then um, those who follow AFL know what happens last night. It's better than winning the AFL, I reckon. That's, that's it. Well, we're done. We're good, guys. We're good. But more excited than the Eagles. I know it's really tough to see me more excited than the Eagles. Uh, uh, but we've got Pop-Out Carnival coming up in a couple of, uh, sorry, like about a month's time. <laughs> Not a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks you're at camp. Uh, but those of you who started off with us a couple of years ago, uh, we did a carnival in Reed Park. We affectionately call it Lift Park because we did so many events over there. And it's literally just down the road on Albany Highway. And on that Saturday, on 7th of October, we will be running a carnival. And why we're doing this is because we realized that we haven't actually been out in the community for a little while as a church and really did anything to connect with people uh, that don't know about us. And so we decided to put this carnival back on. Two years ago where we did this, we had a mum attend lift uh, a little while after that. And she was like, Oh, you guys are the carnival people. And we're like, yeah, that's us. And, and she was like, you know, I go to this mum's group and, and they were raving about this carnival that had been running. And I'm not joking. This is seriously uh, what, what she said. And, uh, and said, you guys do such great work. 
And so that's what we want. This is, you know, no strings attached. We want to love our community. We want to bring community to the town of Vic Park. It's a very big value of Vic Park uh, community. And so we want to do that. And so next week we will be doing sign-ups because we need about 20 people to be helping us pull this carnival off. And, and not just so that it runs, but so that we have people there to meet with others. If you are families as well, this is a great opportunity uh, for your kids because it's going to be during, I think, right at the end of school holidays. So we know your kids are probably needing somewhere to get rid of the energy, shall we say. And so they, they can come along, they can enjoy it. We've got like um, pony rides, inflatables, um, trying to get ice cream van, face painting, craft zone, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's going to be fantastic. So next week, sign-ups are happening. Um, if you've never done an event before and you're a little bit worried about what it's like, just talk to us about it. We would love to have you along. Uh, just so that you know, so far this year, we've done over 300 community engagement hours. And uh, Pop-Up Carnival is one of those uh, events that we put on that allows us to get out into the community again. That is something that is very important to us. Cool. Anyway, today is a really important day for me. I've been preparing for this message for uh, about three, four weeks now. And uh, why I was doing that is because I knew Pastor Corey is coming next week. And um, I'll probably mention this again, uh, but Pastor Corey was one of the three pastors, prophets, um, that spoke into the life of Lyft before we even existed. He, he saw God gave him the word to speak and it really encouraged me in particular. Uh, it was at a point where I was like, man, God, you're asking us to take a big step. I would like one more confirmation. And Pastor Corey was the man that, um, that God used to give us that encouragement and that affirmation that lift was a journey we're supposed to be on. And so he always uh, retains a really special place in my heart. And I know, uh, um, I know that he's going to be bringing God's word, but he's also going to minister to us. And so really, I see that as the first session of camp. If you miss out on camp, this is your taster so that you know that camp's going to be phenomenal off the chain. And so because of that, I knew that today was going to be the day for me uh, as your pastor to set up camp so that we know what to expect and we know where we are going from here. And so um, I, I really wanted to take today uh, as a time to set ourselves up for camp. And as I was doing so, God put Ezekiel 37 on my heart. To give you a bit of background, Ezekiel was one of the prophets in the Bible, and uh, he has a book uh, uh, that records all the visions that he had. And at that point in time, Israel had been conquered by Babylon, and so they were in exile. Ezekiel himself was also in exile in Babylon. This took place around 600 BC, so quite a while before Jesus came. And... Um, and, and a lot of the visions that the prophets had, uh, uh, saw in the Old Testament related to how Israel had forsaken God and how they had pushed him aside, served idols, really let God down in that kind of a way. And therefore, um, they, uh, they got rid of the protection of God over their nation. That's why the exile happened. But in many of the prophets' visions as well, there was this sense of a coming restoration that God was about to bring. And that is what we are reading in Ezekiel 37 is the restoration of Israel. And, and, and just a little side note, stepping outside of the message for a little bit. If you ever, ever doubt God's faithfulness, if you ever doubt whether God 
treat his word that he's given to us with any respect or, or whether he's going to honor his word, you just have to look at the nation of Israel. When we were there, three, when we being Beck and myself, not all of you, um, it's like, when were we there? When Beck and I were there three years ago in Israel, it, they, there was this sense that Israel wasn't meant to be anymore. In fact, Israel ceased to be a nation for decades. They dropped off the face of the planet as a nation. And, uh, and, and many people who were critical of Christianity were saying, God doesn't exist because Israel doesn't exist. That was what people were saying. And then in 1967, Israel forms again as a nation, which is completely unheard of in all of history, a nation to drop off the face of the planet and decades later come back into existence again. It is phenomenal. And um, the day that they formed again as a nation in 1967, four nations immediately declare war on this brand new nation state. Immediately. And so Israel rustled up a, a bit of an army, which is completely outmanned, outgunned. Uh, they, they were running through some of these facts with us, and um, Israeli tanks were uh, outdated, and um, the armies that were coming against them had the latest Soviet technology with uh, uh, night vision and all kinds of aiming, weaponry technology stuff, basically to say Israel was stuffed. Israel was not meant to win, um, and I think it was called the four-day war. You can check this out yourself. Uh, go Google it, the four-day war, Israel. Israel won a war. They had no right to win, and we were uh, in one of these uh, memorial places where um, the tanks that were coming against Israel, uh, they, they came into this valley place, and, and, and we could hear the recording of the uh, tank operators talking back and forth. They, the Israelis were just like, they're flanking us, they, they, they're overtaking us, we are gone and all that kind of stuff. And then the next moment they're like, we don't know what's happened, but they're all retreating. Ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, that's Old Testament stuff. <laughs> like, I'm never, I'm a very logical, real person. And listening to that, I'm like, must be God. You know? and, and so the fact that Israel exists as a nation points to us as Christians that God honors his word. That when he gives you a promise, he's going to make it happen as ridiculous as it's going to be, as phenomenal and as impossible as the situation uh, has to be in order for God to make his promise come true. He will make it come true. And so do that for yourself. Uh, for me, realizing that was just such a wow moment. It's an absolute wow moment. But anyway, back to the message for today. Ezekiel doesn't know how God's going to bring about a restoration of Israel. He has got no idea. He's in the middle of this exile. And in, uh, in chapter 37, he writes about this vision. God brings him to a valley, and they walk through this valley, and they say the valley is filled with dry bones, skeletons of people that were dead and long gone. And they said dry bones in particular because this was a while since they've been dead. So they are sun bleached. There is no life, no hope of life, nothing inside of these bones. These bones were gone. And as they are walking, God turns to Ezekiel and he says to Ezekiel, son of man, which is interesting that God called Ezekiel son of man, but he says, can these bones live? 
Tandy's bones live, Ezekiel 37 verse 3. I think Ezekiel has been walking with God long enough to know that um, there's no right answer to that. He, he knows that God does weird stuff all the time. Uh, if you read any of the prophets books in the Old Testament, they are weird. God does some weird stuff back then. And um, so Ezekiel doesn't answer yes or no. He knows both answers will probably be wrong. And so he says, Lord, only you know. And what God says next is really important for us this morning. This is what God says in verses 4 to 6. It says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of God. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life, then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel prophesies over these bones, and in the vision, these skeletons start to form into human forms again. Tendons and muscles and skin and organs all starts to appear upon these skeletons. It is a sight that I hope I never get to see. It's not one of those visions where like, man, I wish I could see that. Not no, weird. Like, yeah, anyway, and so that happens, and then it, uh, Ezekiel says, and then these guys stand up, and it forms a massive army, and this is what God said to Ezekiel, it's like, you know, even though Israel is like these dry bones with no life, no hope, no future, everything has been leached out of it. I am able to breathe life and I'm able to breathe hope. I'm able to bring a revival and an awakening into this dry, dead, desolate place once again. And I believe that God was putting this in my heart that this is the season that we are walking into, that there is going to be a great awakening about to take place in Lift Church. And I believe that he's taking those dead places, those hopeless places, those dry places in our lives that seem to be devoid of any hope. And God's going to bring life once again into this church. And that is something that I think we need to understand and catch a hold of because it's really interesting to me. Ezekiel had nothing to do with the revival that took place physically. But God still said to him, you prophesy. You declare it into being. You take my words, let it come out from your mouth in order for this awakening to take place. And I find it so interesting that so often God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could hope or imagine. But sometimes he requires us to, with faith, declare what he has already declared. To partner with him. And that's why today is important because for God to move and bring about the revival and awakening that I see in my spirit and my heart, I need to declare that God is going to bring about that revival and awakening. For me to see what God has already promised, I also need to speak what God has promised. And some, in, some of you in your lives in general, maybe the promises of God, you know it, but you are so unwilling to declare it. It's almost as if when you say it, it becomes more real and you're so scared that it's not going to happen. 
And I guess that's where faith really comes in, not just that we believe in our heart, but we declare it. We declare these promises. How many of you have got enough Bible verses in your mind so that when difficult times come, you can declare it, that you can speak it out into being? How many of you, when you reach a dark, difficult season in your life, you've got some truth inside of you so that you can declare and you can speak into being what God has already promised to you? How many of us know enough of the Bible so that the enemy, when he comes with his lies, we can declare and speak out, God is good. He has already got things covered. He's already got the victory and he's just waiting for you to open your mouth and to declare the promises. I'm not just saying you go around and just start talking to stuff and, and being weird about things. I'm saying whether you know the truth, whether you know what God has said, and whether you know how to prophesy with faith what God wants to do. And so back to the message. Sorry, I'm going to these bunny trails today. But I started thinking about it. I was like, God, what do you, what do you mean by awakening for life? What, what is this all about? What am I really declaring? And... I started thinking, you know, God, we, we do plenty as a church. You know, we, we're a church two years old. We do things in the community. We are generous. We, we see cool stuff happen. And we, we do all, it's like, what more do you want us to do? That was kind of the question in my heart. And then I realized that God's not asking for an awakening for us to do more. He's asking us to be awakened to see more. To see different. See, the Bible's really, the Bible loves sight. It talks a lot about sight. It's like, even though you have eyes, you do not see, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in particular, let me point out Matthew 6, 22 to 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Basically, what this says is that the eyes are a filter for your soul. The state of your soul is determined by what you are focusing on. And I had this lesson taught to me over the last month. Um, about a month ago, I started off in this group. There's about eight of us pastors. We are doing this masterclass together once a month. And we are learning from a pastor who uh, built a really uh, strong, healthy church. Um, and, and now he's a church consultant. And so uh, we're learning how to, to, to be good pastors, basically. And uh, you know that I need all the help that I, need, that I can get. So I went for that. And um, in this session, he talked about how most pastors drop out by the age of 40 to 50. By the age of 40 to 50, I think the stats is 60% of pastors will quit. And they do nothing for the rest of their lives. No, I don't know. I don't know what to do. But it's a really high dropout rate for pastors. And so one of the things that he said to us and he challenged us to do is that we have a day off in our week where we, during that day off, turn our phones off. And... All of us in that room, all eight of us are like, oh. I, 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 it's funny, I grew up in a time where I did not, not have a mobile phone. And I only really had a mobile phone, I think, when I was 16. I think I had my first mobile phone. And when we had mobile phones, they did not have internet on them. They could only text or call. And you only probably get like five text messages and two calls, and then your credit's up. That's what it used to be like. And then um, 
yeah, we slowly upgraded, and then we got internet on our phones, and then we got social media. And I remember that MySpace was the first social media platform that everyone used. I had a MySpace page. I, I don't know whether they still allow me to have it. I wish I could log on. And um, MySpace was better than Facebook. Facebook was a lame cousin of MySpace. Anyone knows, remember any of this stuff? Some of you young people are like, what the heck is going on? What universe do you come from? I remember when Facebook first came out, one of the greatest things you could do was to click a button that says poke someone. <laughs> and then we poked people using Facebook. And then you, there were super pokes that you could use that you could like poke using sheep. And I'm like, I don't know how this works. But that was a long time ago, not even that long though. That was probably, what, what, 10 years ago. And we've got to this point where disconnecting is such a big deal. And so I determined that I was going to give this a shot. So three Mondays ago, Mondays, Bex, and my day off, uh, three Mondays ago, I determined, you know, I'm not going to go on any social media between 8 and 8. Um, and we left off, I left my phone on because at the moment we're selling a house so we have got people calling up and, and setting things up and so we left our phone on but I'm really trying to get out of social media space and it was quite instructive because in the first Monday that I did not get into, um, into the Facebook and, and Instagram world, I found myself whenever there was a spot of time during that day where I was doing nothing like waiting for food or um, you know, waiting for Beck to finish her shopping or, or whatever she was doing and I was just standing there, I would automatically reach into my pocket to grab my phone. It was an automatic response. And I literally had to chippy slap myself many times. You know what chippy slap is when you reach for something and I literally had to like, what are, you, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And, and I thought it would be not that hard, but I honestly can say I had to catch myself many times. And I, was, I started to think about it. I was like, why are you doing that? Why is there that natural need to reach for my phone? And the honest reason is because I was bored. I was bored with waiting and just standing around or, or, yeah, so I reached for my phone. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, why am I bored? I existed before all of this stuff came into being. I didn't need any of them when I was 15. Why is it I need it now? And I realized that a lot of the social media and all of these things had so become a filter over my eyes that the world started to look really boring. You know, real life starts to seem really slow. Like, why is nothing happening? It's less colorful. I'm not laughing as much. But really, I realized that social media had desensitized me. It wasn't that it was offering me anything of great value. It simply desensitized me and gave me a new filter to see the world. 
And, and, and we become so caught up with this 24-7 entertainment, laugh a minute, or being involved in other people's opinions and, and, and news and everything that's happening in the world. And, and if we disconnect, we feel like suddenly we become like cavemen and cave women, and we don't know what's going on. But really what's happening is that we've allowed ourselves to have a soul that is insatiable, in need of entertainment, in need of color and moving pictures and words that stir up emotion inside of us, that the world in comparison seems boring. The world in comparison seems so dull. And so I made a choice after that first week. Not only am I not going to go into social media, I'm going to choose to once again notice the wonder in the world. And so I opened my eyes and I started to see people again. I started to notice things. I wasn't so caught up in myself and in what I'm wanting and my thoughts. I started thinking, what is that person going through? What is, what is happening over there? And, and started to recognize and notice things. And you know what? This is no longer a young person problem. Beck and I were at a cafe a few weeks ago. and We saw a grandma ignoring her grandson, who's the cutest little kid. And I can say that because my eyes were open. And I, oh, it's a cute boy, and he was like running around a cafe trying to get her attention, and she was like. This is an epidemic in our society. We have allowed a new filter over our eyes. Do you know that Instagram has been proven to lower your self-esteem? Proven, 100%. Do you know that your phone makes you more stupid? Proven. They did this test. I love these kind of tests because I did psych ages ago. And, and if you do a test and you have your phone right in front of you, you're more likely to score badly in that test. The moment you take that phone away out of eyesight, the person does like something like five points better. It's crazy. We are becoming dumber and more dull because we have allowed these, I, I'm not supposed to be talking about social media, but that was just something that I'm learning about myself. I thought that I was immune to it, but I started to see how it dealt me. Now, is social media completely evil and bad? No. It's how we allow it to affect us. And so by instituting a 12-hour weekly social media fast, it's changed the way that I see things. It's changed the way that I approach things. Even just doing it once a week is like a reset inside of my soul so that I'm not needing my phone as much. In fact, sometimes I'm bored of social media. In fact, most of you are bored of social media, but most of you still go back to it like a dog to its vomit. That's what the Bible says. Not me. Bible. Like a dog to its vomit. A fool goes back. Anyway, let's not go there. I was one of those fools like a dog. But what I'm trying to impress upon you is this sense that maybe our eyes are dull without us even knowing it. And this has brought me, as I was thinking about, this has brought me to the Exodus account. I love Exodus, and I've been studying it for a few weeks as part of my personal Bible study. And I love that in Exodus, the word wonder appears many times. The wonders of God 
performed using his mighty arm. You know, he rescued Israel out of the oppression of Egypt, takes them out of this uh, uh, place of slavery, and, and, and he brings them through this wilderness with uh, providing food, water, uh, everything that they could need. God provides them wonder, 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 wonder. And, and as I was reading that, I came across Exodus chapter uh, 14, verse 30 to 31, and it says this, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the wonders of God that he performed, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Notice what happens when they saw, they then put their trust. When they saw, then they put their trust. And I don't think that the Israelites saw very well. This was right after they crossed the Red Sea and, and, and God washed away the Egyptian army. Because in Exodus chapter 15, one chapter later, we read about the Israelites complaining about how they had nothing to drink. So God provides something for them to drink. And, and they're like, wow, God can do this. And then Exodus 16 comes around like, oh, we're all dying. We have no food. And God provides this bread that appears on the ground and birds that fall out of the air so that they can cook them. And, and, and they had that again. And, and, and so... Um, and then Exodus 17 comes around. And in Exodus 17, they once again complain that there's no water. They saw the wonders of God. But something else was in their vision and in their focus. And this is what I think we need to understand. I think most of us see the wonders of God as operating in complete exclusion to the wilderness times in our lives. The truth is, when you read Exodus, the wonders of God were being performed in the wilderness, in the oppression, in the slavery, in the dry, in the sparse landscape of the wilderness was where the wonders were being performed. The choice, therefore, is whether we choose to see the wonders of God or we see the wilderness. Because what we choose to see affects what we trust. What we see affects how we then process what we're going to do next. The Israelites had seen the most amazing wonders recorded in the Bible. But the next moment, they saw... Their need, their obstacle, the dryness, the hopelessness of their situation. Now, I've heard so many people talk, I've talking, talking. I've spoken to many people as a pastor, and the thing that gets me the most is where people say, I know God is good, but I know God is good and He's able to provide, but. I need to do this for myself. I know God loves me. I know that He died for me. But because I don't have a relationship, I don't feel loved. 
I know God can provide for all my needs. And I know that He loves me and my family. But right now, I'm not going to go to church every Sunday because I need to do all the work I can get. If not, I can't provide for my family. I know God's called me to reach out to my friends and He's given me a message of hope and life. He's given me the gospel. He's given me a story to tell. But I'm too insecure and I don't think I'm good enough. I'm going to leave it to the professionals. I've heard so many of these stories and let me tell you something. I'm not a professional. I don't have a greater faith than you. I don't have, in fact, you know what? I'm a realist. I'm as real as any of you guys. I choose often to see really where things are at and I'm like, okay, this is not adding up and etc. etc. Really, it's just me choosing. Sometimes we disguise our wilderness focus as realism. And I'm more logical than most of you guys. I know it. This is how God's wired me. But I've also seen that understanding that there's a wilderness is important. I'm not asking you to be one of those stupid Christians that go around saying, nothing wrong in the world is happening. It's like, no, lots of crap stuff is happening. That's true. We need to pray for our world. We need to pray into our nation. We need to pray into all those things that's happening. But, but that's not where my eyes should be focused. My eyes should be focused on the wonders that God is doing. And that's why we need an awakening, because so many of us have forgotten or maybe haven't even experienced the wonders that God is performing in our very midst. A few weeks ago, I spoke about how God is doing stuff. It's just whether we choose to say yes to it or not. It's whether we choose to acknowledge. Uh, it is moving away from that space of seeing all the obstacles and going, yes, God, you, you know the right way. Am I saying your life is meant to be easy and, and just you snap your fingers and things happen your way? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a life that, that goes, God, you know, this is difficult and I don't really like it. But I know that if I say yes to you, you're going to carry me through this. And in the process of carrying me through this, you're going to bring about wonders that is going to change my perspective, that is going to rock my world, and is going to take me out of the mundane existence of walking through the wilderness. And I'm wondering how many of us have not seen the wonders of God because we choose to live in wilderness. We choose to stay in that space. This is not just a, no, or this is not at all a, come on church, you're doing so terribly. This is a message for me. As I prepared myself for camp, it's like, Nate, have you forgotten the wonder? Have you forgotten what I'm able to do. You know, last night while watching the Eagles game, about at three-quarter time, I was just like, the Eagles are cooked. They couldn't run. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't do anything. They were just basically trying to slap the ball out. That was all they were able to do. And they did that pretty well. They, they did do that really well. But I was like, they are absolutely cooked. I don't know how they won. Honest, I'm an Eagles fan through and through. I feel like they had no right to win the way things were going. And, but you know what happened? When the guy kicked the winning goal after the siren, all 
all 23 players that were cooked found a second wind. They ran and they, they were like, I love see because there was like this bunch of guys, they were like, there was this like 35 year old guy jumping over the top of them. It was like, you can do that now. Where were you when they needed you? Now you celebrate. But you know what happened? They no longer saw the battle. They no longer saw the fatigue. They no longer concentrated on that. They saw the wonder of playing for another week. They saw the wonder that the goal brought in their life. And I'm wondering whether some of us are feeling so dead and so tired because there's wonders taking place, but we are choosing to focus on our fatigue. The wonders of God's love, Marcy brought that beautiful passage in the Bible about how God loves us, but some of us are existing as though that love is inaccessible to us. Is it really inaccessible or is it just because your focus is on the death that exists inside of your soul? We need to wake up the wonder. As so I was talking to Beck about this message, she, she said, yeah, she feels this stirring for us to find this childlike faith, this childlike faith. And, and let me just give you a little story. I'm about to close, so the band could probably get you guys up there. But I've got two nephews, one of them is six and four. Yep, couldn't, still remember them. Got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And about uh, two months ago, we had this family meal, and I was like, I'm going to be that uncle that does a really lame uncle magic trick. So I was like, hey, boys, boy, boys, check this out. And I was expecting the six-year-old to go like, oh, this is so lame. The four-year-old was hoping to trick. But honestly, they were like, how are you doing that? Like, honestly, it was so much fun. The six-year-old was like, do it again, do it again, do it again. And the, the, the four-year-old was probably more like, just lost. It was lost. I don't know what was going through his mind. The six-year-old was like, so I taught him the trick, and literally the whole dinner, there was like an hour of him just like, am, am I doing it right? Am I, is, is this how you do it? Is it? He's so captured by it. And when we think about our faith and, and our lives with God, I'm wondering whether we've gotten so used to seeing what God is doing that we've lost our wonder. So, so boring going to church. We sing four songs and then some guy shouts at me for 40 minutes and then I go home. Is that really what it's all about or is it a space where we actually get to gather together and see God do something? I know for some of you, you've lost the wonder in your eyes. And you need to get to camp, not because camp's magical, but because camp is a time where you can get away from the wilderness that you're so focused on. And you get to push that aside and go, God, I want to see what you want me to see. I want to hear what you want me to hear. I want to know what you want me to know because I know a lot about my wilderness. I've been walking in it. I know every grain of sand. I know how sparse and how dry and how inhabitable it is. 
I know how dead my wilderness is. But I'm done knowing that because I cannot do anything about my wilderness. But I need to know what you think about my wilderness. I want to see the wonders that you are able to perform in my wilderness. And when you start declaring that God is able to do that, that God's able to change things, that God's able to do things that are impossible to us, but is more than possible for Him. When we start to say yes to what God is wanting to and is able to do, it changes our wilderness into a place of wonder. In my life, the greatest learning times, the greatest times of my amazement at God's love happen in times of wilderness, in difficult times where I did not know how was I was supposed to get out of that season. But in the midst of that, my God is a God of wonder. My God is a God of more. My God is able to breathe life into dry, dead bones that are not able to exist in its own strength. And in the same way, I'm just one of those dry bones. And I acknowledge it. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing in me that can exist tomorrow without the breath and the hand of God. And so I want to awaken the wonder inside of my heart, inside of my soul. I'm choosing to see what He wants me to see. And I'm declaring today that in Live Church, we'll be a church that sees the wonders of God, that chooses to see the wonders in times of wilderness, that chooses to see the beauty in the ashes, that chooses to see life in times of hopelessness. And we're going to declare that to our town. We're going to declare that into our community. We're going to declare that to other people. But let me tell you, you cannot carry a testimony that you did not live through. You do not have a testimony if you've not gone through and witnessed what God is about to do. So can I just ask you, are you going to wake up to the wonder? Are you going to wake up to the wonder? Next week, we got Pastor Corey and... I've already tried to tee up to make sure that he gets time to really minister to people. And I know that there's always going to be one or two people who's like, oh, whatever. Here we go, party tricks. You can be your cynical, realist self, and you get to stay in your wilderness. I want to see the wonder. I want to see the wonder of what God is about to do. Camp's not just getting away for a time of fun. Camp's a time where God is going to shower us with His wonder, with His majesty. And I know that I'm ready to be stretched. I know that my vision is becoming limited. Every time, every week, I just sense, yeah, there's just that when I don't get into a place of seeing the wonder, I get jaded, I get bored but I know that God's about to do something wonderful. Can we stand this morning? My prayer for you, my prayer for this church is that there's an awakening. I pray that there's a stirring even right now that some of you are going, what have I been doing? Some of you need to prepare yourself for camp. Some of you need to get off Facebook, get off Instagram, get off any social media. Maybe even turn your phone off for a couple of days. 
Or maybe there's certain people that you need to get away from because they give you a different filter to how they see life. Or maybe there are certain things that you need to do to create that space for God to begin to breathe into your heart and into your soul. My prayer is that at the end of these next couple of weeks, we have an army that is ready to say yes to whatever God is saying yes to. That we have an army of people solid and ready in their faith to take a leap of faith that God is asking us to as a church. But before we go any further, it's only right for me to lead you in a prayer. There might be some of you here, there might be, I don't know, someone that, doesn't, that hasn't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've been pushing back at this Jesus guy because you don't really know enough, or maybe you don't trust him enough, or maybe you've walked away. But this morning, the most wonderful wonder that God has ever given to us is his love. It's the life that he gave upon that cross in order to purchase ours. So this morning, if you would like to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, say this prayer with me. Everyone's going to repeat it so you're not going to feel singled out. But let's say this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. I know the wages of sin is death. But you want to bring me life. So I invite you in. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.